Michael's Fowell, a gospel-centered community for Fowell, Teddington, and beyond. Our passion is to see every life following Jesus. For more information, visit our website, stmichaelsfowell.co.uk. We are now going to turn to a part of the service where we look at God's Word together, um, and Lily is going to come and give us our Bible reading, and the reading is from Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 to 11. Philippians chapter 2, verse 5 to 11, and you can find that on page 1179. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, who did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. If you turn to page 77... You'll find the Ten Commandments there. You've got a finger in Philippians, that would be good, but we'll come back to that a little bit later on. Here are some handouts, uh, which will wind their way backwards. Uh, If you'd like to jot things down, feel very welcome to do so. Let's pray. Let's pray as we come to God's Word. Father, thank you so much that you have revealed yourself to us. And Lord, please now, by your Spirit, might you... Help us to understand more of who you are, more of who your son is. Lord, might we understand him uh, in greater depth, greater richness this evening. And help us too to understand ourselves, our own condition, and our need for your grace, and the grace that you abundantly provide. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, We're in the series on the Ten Commandments, ten words it's called, first given to the people of Israel after they'd been rescued from Egypt. So if you look at the beginning of the Ten Commandments on page 77, Exodus 20, uh, God spoke all these words, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery, and then he gives the Ten Commandments. And uh, they were obviously really important to the people of Israel after they'd been rescued, telling them how to live, how to live well. But they're also really important for us in our day and age. They're really important for Christians today. Why are they so important for us? How are these ten words, these ten commandments important to us? Three quick things to say on that as we start. First, they expose our need. God's law, the ten commandments, they expose our need. They reveal, in other words, our sin. And so as we spend time looking at them, we are driven to depend even more on God's mercy, on his grace, on the forgiveness that's found in the Lord Jesus Christ. They expose our needs. Second, they tell us more about Jesus Christ himself. They are a brilliant way for showing us in a deeper, richer way who Jesus is. Sometimes we can have a bit of a 2D view of Jesus. But the Ten Commandments help us to begin to see Jesus with greater uh, depth and richness. 
uh, in 3D. And we see just how beautiful, how impressive, how wonderful, how amazing he is. Third, they show us how to live well now and how to love well now. Shows us what it means to be more like Jesus and so more fully human. How to thrive, how to flourish in life. In life. So they expose our need. They tell us more about Jesus Christ. They show us how to live and love now. Three reasons why we're spending time uh, in these Ten Commandments. And we're taking one at a time. Uh, so far, we've looked at verse 3. The first commandment, you shall have no other gods before me. In other words, put God first. Second commandment, verse 4, you shall not make for yourself an image and bow down to them or worship them. Uh, last week, we looked at the golden calf, how the Israelites went catastrophically wrong almost straight away. And we thought about uh, this encouragement to worship God as he really is. So to put God first, worship God as he really is. And now we're into verse 7. So over the page, on verse, uh, page 78, and here is the commandment, you shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God. I think hopefully over the course of uh, the next quarter of an hour, 20 minutes, we will see that this is telling us to know who you are. That's the application. Know who you are. If you're a Christian, know who you are and what that means. First, let's, let's take a look at this uh, commandment and, and see uh, what uh, it is all about. And I guess at first glance, it seems pretty obvious what it's all about. Don't swear. Don't swear. Don't take God's name in vain. I look up Jesus in the dictionary and you're likely to get two definitions. Here are two definitions I came across in a dictionary. One, the central figure of the Christian religion. Two, a word used to express irritation, dismay, or surprise. That is how so often the word Jesus is used there. Isn't it, isn't it strange how common that is? Now that people go to the word, the name Jesus, rather than any other person who's lived in history. Uh, the person I stood next to watching a game of football yesterday was, it has to be said, constantly expressing irritation, dismay, and surprise by using Jesus' name yesterday. And we see it all over uh, social media. Uh, it is so common in our lives today, isn't it? The word God, oh my God, OMG, Christ, is used to express anger and irritation and dismay and surprise. Uh, sometimes it's anger, sometimes it is excitement. But when God's name is used in vain, this command does say, that's wrong. That is simply wrong. And I guess there's no surprise for us here. And we might be thinking, oh, at last, a commandment that I think most of the time I can keep. You might be thinking, I'm pretty good on that, at avoiding it. Tick, job done, on to the fourth commandment. But we need to see, actually, there is a much broader scope to this commandment. 
And to help us understand that, I think we need to uh, think a little bit about the significance of a name. What does a name mean? Uh, names are so important, aren't they? Uh, when a baby is born, one of the first questions we ask, what is their name? It just feels important to know what uh, somebody's name is. Uh, it's often the first step in getting to know someone, isn't it? Until you know their name, it's, you feel like you're only just beginning to get to know someone. Uh, it's so powerful when someone remembers your name. And it can be quite upsetting when someone doesn't remember your name who you think should remember your name. Uh, I remember a friend of mine telling me of a time when their young daughter discovered that they'd left... You know, sometimes you leave a conference and you have your name badge on it. And somehow they'd left their name badge on the tube. And uh, they were telling their young daughter about this when they got got home, and their daughter got really upset about it, started crying. And it was kind of, what's going on there? But I, they sort of felt the name was so associated with their dad that somehow their dad had left a part of them on the tube, going around uh, for people to see. And there's something in, in that, isn't there? A name is, is such a powerful thing. Our name is inextricably connected to who we are. Our name and our character, they're sort of tied together, aren't they? So we might say of someone, they've got a bad name, meaning they've got a bad reputation, a bad character. Or if, you, if, if, I, if I say a name, it will conjure up um, a whole character, a whole person. So you just put out some names, famous names out there, Rupert Murdoch, Russell Brand, J.K. Rowling, Taylor Swift, I mean, your name. It, it sort of conjures up the, the whole person, doesn't it? The whole character. Uh, their actions, who they are, whether that's for good or bad. If that's true for humans, how much more true is it for God? God's name is his character. It's who he is. It's of huge importance. Actually, in the book of Exodus, it's a massive theme of the book of Exodus as God reveals himself and and shares his name. I am who I am, he says. And God's name, it speaks of his love, his power, his strength, his wisdom, his grace, his holiness, his knowledge, his perfections, of all his actions. So when we speak of God's name, uh, we're calling into being the whole of God himself. Uh, so, some examples in the Bible. When we baptise we're told to baptize in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit in Matthew 28. It's a way of, as we're baptized, we associate ourselves with all that God is. Uh, we pray in the name of Jesus. We end our prayers in the name of Jesus we pray. And that's calling upon all his work and his character as the basis of our request. We seek shelter in the name of the Lord meaning we find refuge in who he is. Uh, when the psalmist says, O Lord, O our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth, Psalm 8, verse 1, we're not simply saying he has a really nice name, but we're speaking of his whole being, his whole character, who he is. So we misuse the name of the Lord our God, not simply by swearing, but actually, by saying or doing anything that goes against his whole 
being. Now, let's uh, think about that a little bit more and different ways in which we might do that. I've listed four different ways in which we might misuse the name of our, the Lord our God uh, by going against his whole being, who he is. So, first up, misrepresenting. Now, uh, if you're at school, or we can remember back to our school days, you know, going off on that school trip, heading off into town, and you've got the school badge on your jumper or your blazer, and there's the teacher pep talk, isn't there? Saying, look, behave, you're representing the school. So if you then decide to go and steal some sweets uh, from a shop, that's going to be misrepresenting the school. That's not going to be very good at all, is it? At work, meeting clients, or at a trade fair, whatever it might be, you've got the lanyard on. Uh, You're representing your company. So if you start a blazing argument or something like that, that would be misrepresenting your company. And if we're a Christian, we bear the name of Jesus. We're a Christian. We carry his name. We represent him. We're wearing the shirt, the cap, the badge, the flag, whatever way you want to put it. And we misuse the name of the Lord our God whenever we misrepresent him, whenever we misrepresent who he is, his character, his whole being. Whenever our behavior contradicts our identity as Christians. Now, I guess there there are always obvious examples out there. When a vicar goes off the rails, it normally gets into the press. There are famous Christians where things have gone wrong, such as Ravi Zacharias. Obvious examples of Christians misrepresenting the name of Jesus, the name of God. But it's also true for all of us. Whenever we lose our temper, or trash someone's reputation, or lust after someone, or stir up conflict, or drink too much, or envy. Whenever we fall short as a Christian, we misrepresent the name of the Lord our God. Uh, Misrepresenting. Second, misappropriating. Misappropriating. Now this can be a little bit more subtle, but it's just as much of a problem. This is kind of playing the God card. Taking God's name and baptizing our ideas and actions, whether in the past or things that we would like to do. Again, on the big scale, history is full of examples like this. Um, As a former history teacher, I'll happily give you lots of examples. You've got the Crusades, uh, Charles I, Um, I was listening to a podcast yesterday on General Pinochet's coup in Chile in 1973. Um, Fascinating, fascinating stuff. But what was so interesting, General Pinochet, who uh, led this coup, he invoked God's name. He said, one of his justifications is, God wanted me to do this. That is misappropriating God's name. But it's something actually even more close to home. It's something that even the church can do. So uh, many of you will be aware there's a big debate in the Church of England at the moment and uh, other denominations uh, across this country, across much of the Western world. And uh, many are saying that God blesses something that he explicitly does not uh, as uh, they're seeking to redefine the Christian understanding of marriage. 
And that is actually breaking the third commandment because it misappropriates God's name. It's saying that God is happy with something when he's not. And it's also worth thinking about us in our own lives, in our day-to-day lives. Um, Again, we have to be a little bit careful around this one, but sometimes we can fall into saying, God has told me this, and we hold it very, very firmly onto a particular situation. God has told me this. Now, it's worth saying, I do believe that God can and does speak to us today. But we're never to give any words of knowledge or prophetic insight, we're never to give them the same weight as Scripture because we can't be guaranteed that we're right. It could be our own inner voice um, at work and we've misheard. And when we declare, look, God has told me this, what we're doing in that moment is sort of bringing his whole name, his whole authority, his whole being behind us. And that is a pretty weighty thing to do. And we can only really do that with confidence with what God says in Scripture, in his word. And it's very easy in those instances uh, to misappropriate his name. So it's very easy to to baptise our own agendas by invoking God's name, uh, by saying that this is what God wants. And we can only be certain as we look to Scripture. So that's misappropriating. Uh, Third, misdirecting. Uh, This is perhaps the most subtle. It's when we use God's name to cover up uh, the spiritual reality of our lives. Um, Jen Wilkin, the author, puts it well like this. She says this, We misuse the name of the Lord by speaking hallowed words while living hollow lives. We misuse the name of the Lord by speaking hallowed words, by living hollow lives. In other words, we can be very good at the sort of the God talk, but our lives are a long way from our testimony. It's when our words give the wrong impression of where we are at in our relationship with God. It's when our speech about God outpaces our sanctification. And in that sense, we can misdirect people. We give them a false impression. And we can misuse the name of the Lord our God. And then finally, uh, disrespecting. And this certainly includes uh, using God's name as a swear word. But perhaps we can also disrespect and so misuse God's name when we're too casual towards him. Yes, we're invited to call God Abba, Father, which is a wonderfully intimate name, and yet it's also one that signifies respect and honour. It's worth just thinking about every time we use God's name, every time we speak of the Lord Jesus Christ, it is actually in itself an act of worship, honouring him for who he is, acknowledging him, for who he is. 
So there you go. There are many ways in which we can get this wrong. Disrespecting, misdirecting, misappropriating, misrepresenting. As we thought about last week, as we come to the Ten Commandments, this is a bit like looking at the mirror, the bathroom mirror, that it exposes us how far we fall short of God's ways, of God's standards. It exposes our need, our sin, our guilt. Which is why we've got to take verse seven, the second half of verse 7 seriously. See how verse 7 carries on. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God. For the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. So it speaks of our guilt. As we come to God's law, we recognize and see our guilt. It's a serious thing to misuse his name, to misrepresent, to misappropriate, to misdirect, to disrespect God's name. Now, all this could leave us this evening feeling a little bit miserable and in despair. But that is not where the Bible leaves us. That is not where the story of God leaves us. Uh, Instead, as I said at the beginning, God's law is not just to expose our need, but it's to point us to Christ, to understand Jesus even more. And actually, when we understand this command in all its depths, and we know that Jesus perfectly kept this command, it shows us even more what a wonderful person Jesus Christ is. He kept this command perfectly. He never misrepresented God. In everything he did, in everything he said, he perfectly represented all that God is, all of his character. He never misappropriated God. In all that he did, he perfectly revealed and honoured who his heavenly Father is. He never misdirected. Jesus had perfect integrity. His words and his life matched one another. He never disrespected serving his father. And here's the extraordinary thing. This is what it means to be a Christian. Is it means that we receive Christ's perfect life and he died for our imperfect life. That is right at the heart of the Christian faith. That's right at the heart of what the cross is all about. It's the swap of the cross. Jesus Christ, he came to die for us, to die the death that our guilt deserves. But more than that, he then gives us his perfect life, his perfect righteousness, so that by being united to him, by faith, we are seen, we are fully covered as being perfectly righteous. That's what the Bible word justification means. Through Jesus Christ, we are perfectly righteous. In him we have perfectly kept the law. That is, if you're trusting in Jesus, that is where you stand before God now. Perfectly justified. That is an extraordinary thing, isn't it? That is an extraordinary truth to know. And it means 
that we bear his name and we now have the privilege to represent him as he would want us to represent him. Yes, we'll do this imperfectly. Yes, we will continue to make mistakes this side of the new creation as we work out the salvation that we've already been given. But that is what we're called to do. We've been given the badge. We've been given the shirt. And we're called to live that out. Uh, That verse there, Colossians 3, verse 17 says, Whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. That is what we're called to do. And if we don't yet know Jesus Christ as our Lord and Saviour, then please know that this forgiveness and this righteousness is available to you freely available as you come to the Lord Jesus Christ and put your trust and faith in him. We're going to uh, share uh, the Lord's Supper, bread and wine, and really uh, remember and remind one another of what it cost this salvation, that Jesus Christ died, he shed his blood, he broke his body for us. And I guess we can take this as an act of giving thanks to God for that, as an act of expressing our faith, our trust in what he did for us. And as a way of saying, Lord, I want to live for you. I want to honour your name in this week ahead. One of the prayers we often pray, the Lord's Prayer says, hallowed be your name. That is praying that the third commandment might be kept, that it might not be misused, but rather hallowed, might be honoured by us. And we also share with those wonderful truths of Philippians 2 that Lily read at the beginning. We want to see Jesus' name lifted high. Uh, God has exalted him to the highest place and he's given him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and earth and under the earth and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So let's just take a few moments as we prepare to take bread and wine together to still our hearts, to come before the Lord, to acknowledge our need to give thanks for who Jesus is and to resolve to live for him, hallowing his name, honouring him for who he is. Let's just take a few moments of quiet.